Welcome back to Case of the Sunday Scaries. I'm Elise. And I'm Annie. And Annie is taking over the mic. I know we kind of put you through a roller coaster last week with Sylvia's case, but hopefully we led up to this case with something a little bit more positive, but I have a feeling Annie is going to take us down a peg or two. I will bring you right back down. But before we get into today's episode, we have got to talk about Eliza Fletcher. At the time of this recording, her body has been found and Cleotha Abstin has been charged with especially aggravated kidnapping, tampering with evidence, and first-degree murder. I have not been following this case very closely. I mean, obviously, it's been all over the news, but I did see when her body was discovered. But is the person being charged? Is it someone that knew her? No. So what they're thinking happened is that he planned this. He picked her because she's a heiress to a billionaire. I mean, what makes me so angry and why I wanted to talk about her was not so much what happened, but Eliza was a mom, a wife, a daughter, a kindergarten teacher, and a friend. And the amount of victim shaming I have seen on social media is infuriating. What are people saying? I've seen things like, well, she shouldn't have been running in the dark alone. I've seen people say, well, this is why you need to carry mace. And it's unreal how people immediately shift to this way of thinking. Oh, I wish you had not told me that because now I'm getting fired up. Like I said, I haven't been following this case very closely. It's been kind of a wild week over here, but Mm -hmm. I'm right there with you. This makes me so mad because this is the same thing that happens time and time again where a woman is killed or sexually assaulted and somehow the fault lands back on her. Well, I'm sorry if a woman can't go running at nighttime, that's not her problem. No. That's the problem of the perpetrator and people that have sinister thoughts and believe that they have the control and the right to do horrible things to other humans. That is not on her. And how many times have we seen people say things like, well, their skirt should have been longer or she was asking for it because she was too drunk. And it's now the narrative of she shouldn't have been running in the dark alone. Like, are you kidding me? I Get so mad about this. She's allowed to get some exercise. And like, I am all for taking preventative measures. I'm all for the fact that if I walk my dogs at night, I am not walking them with the headphones that block out all the background noise. Absolutely not. I want to be aware of my surroundings and like safe as possible. But that doesn't mean that I should be restricted from doing things that make me happy, make me healthy, make my dogs happy and healthy. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a woman, because of what's between my legs, I'm not allowed to go out if the sun's down. Like, what bullshit is that? Agree. And I know that a lot of our listeners are women. And I just want to be very, very clear that it is not our fault when something like this happens. The only person who is at fault, Elise, you always say it best, is the perpetrator. And it's just such a sad situation for Eliza and her family. You know, she was a busy woman. She had a few extra hours early in the morning. This was at like 4.30 in the morning. I mean, good for her for getting up, focusing on her mental health and her body, getting a run in, and this happens. And it's just so disgusting to me how people are shaming and blaming her. Yeah, a mom is taken away violently from her child and it's her fault. Give me a freaking break. Yeah, and we do record these episodes earlier than they air, obviously. So I know by the time Sunday comes around, there's gonna be more updates, but I couldn't just sit here today and talk about this episode and not talk about Eliza. And I just want to be very clear that here at Case of the Sunday Scaries, we support everyone and we do not blame the victims. 
nor their families. And Annie, I completely agree. That is something we will not stand for here. If we ever see comments like that on our social media pages, you bet you are getting blocked real quick because I don't care what your gender is. I don't care what you identify as. I don't care what your race is. If you are the victim of a crime, that is exactly what you are, a victim, hopefully a survivor. And those are the things that we will applaud you for, for going through these things, for surviving them, if that's the situation, God willing. But absolutely will we not stand for people blaming anyone other than the perpetrator of the crime. No. And I think even for every episode, we always make a point to say, like, it is not the victim's fault. It's the perpetrators. And we're just going to end our opener on that because my blood pressure rises a little bit talking about this. I did get into it with the troll on social media. Wasn't my finest moment. But I was just like, look at what you're commenting. Like, imagine her family seeing that. She wasn't doing anything wrong. And you know what? Even if she was, it's still not her fault. I'm sorry. But well, and here's the thing. At the end of the day, social media bullying is a real thing. We all know that. Mm -hmm. But you're bullying a dead woman and her family, and those are mourning her death. And she has two babies left behind and a husband. And Yeah, how dare you? That's all I'm going to say. And I know it's not our listeners. I'm sure you're all sitting there going like, hey, it's not us. We get that, but we just want to make our stance known that that will not be tolerated anywhere on our pages. Absolutely. And for updates with Eliza in this case, because I know there's going to be a lot, follow us on Instagram. We'll do updates like we do with any kind of updates in the true crime world. It's at a case of the Sunday scaries. So now that that's off our chest, let's get into today's episode. You're starting me off heated. So (laughs) I'm heated too. If I talk fast in the beginning, just forgive me. My blood pressure needs to simmer down a bit. The case I am covering today is about a crime that happened in the rural community of Earlsboro, Oklahoma, back in May of 1983. It involves two young adults who were newlyweds named Melody and Paul Jones, who were living a totally normal and seemingly happy life up until one tragic night. Melody was 19 years old and had lived in Oklahoma her whole life. She was the oldest of five children. She had three little sisters and one little brother who she was really close with. And she was kind of just that ideal big sister and daughter, like a total gem from all accounts. Paul was 20 years old and was originally from Gloucester, England. When he was a teenager, his family moved to Oklahoma, and eventually he met Melody, who quickly won him over. The two met in 1979 and got married two years later. After getting married, the newlyweds moved into a cute little wood-framed house that was nestled off the highway in a pretty isolated part of Potawatomi County, Oklahoma. Say that 10 times fast. Potawatomi. And I know we always butcher these names. I did do a Google search, but Potawatomi, like that just sounds so quaint. Yeah, it sounds very Rockweller, just a sweet little tiny town. Mm-hmm. And a sweet little newlywed couple who bought a plot of land, had a house, just everything going for them. Well, go ahead, Annie. Kill our hopes and dreams for this couple. <laughs> the house sat on some acres surrounded by a thick forest, making this a private little sanctuary for the Joneses. They were so excited to start their new life together, and buying this house on a little piece of property was the first step in that journey. Both Melody and Paul had jobs in the nearby town of Seminole, roughly nine miles from their home in Earlsboro. Melody worked at the local Dairy Queen, and Paul worked at the Jimmy Austin Golf Course, where people described him as a very quiet but excellent young man. The two were living their quiet little American dream. Spring was wrapping up and summer was just around the corner in Oklahoma. 
One thing Melody loved to do was be around her family. On this particular day in early May, Melody spent the day fishing with her parents and four younger siblings. The evening was wrapping up and Randall, who's her little brother, offers to give his sister a ride back to her house. During the drive, Melody asks her brother if he will spend the night and hang out with her and Paul. She didn't have a reason as to why she wanted her brother to stay, but this was not out of the ordinary for the siblings. Yeah, you said they were really close, right? Really close. They were barely a year apart. And Randall even told investigators it was completely normal for her to ask and even for him to stay. And so it didn't strike him as odd when Melody asked. Maybe she just wanted her brother to have a glass of wine with her and not I have think to drive so. home. And she was so young, like 19 years old, kind of a newlywed. Like, it's nice to have your family around during that time. And I think that Randall and Paul, her husband, were really close as well. So, like, just some bros hanging out with Melody, who seems really cool and kind of just a fun little sleepover. But And you know she has ice cream in her freezer. You know she does. Some Bonnie Bell. <laughs> she come, Well, no, she worked at Dairy Queen. Oh, yeah. So she's, you know she's got one of those amazing frozen cakes from Dairy Queen just sitting in that freezer. I'd go over and spend the night just for that. Absolutely. But Randall declined the invite with no real reason. Like I said, it wasn't odd. And eventually. Maybe he doesn't like ice cream cake. <laughs> he's a DQ hater. <laughs> Eventually, the two arrive at the Joneses' home. It was around 10.30 p.m., and it was completely dark outside. From his truck, Randall recalled seeing a tall male figure in the doorway of the home, but he assumed it was Paul. There were no lights on in the home, so he did the brotherly thing and pulled his truck up to the front door to make sure Melody made it inside safely. They're pulling up. She's with her brother. He's declined to come in and Mm -hmm. spend the night and have some ice cream cake. But they see a male figure inside the home and assume it's her husband, or was it outside? In the home, kind of in the doorway. Like, imagine looking through a window and seeing someone there. What's weird is the lights are off, but maybe Paul just had walked in the back door. I mean, it didn't seem out of the ordinary for Randall or Melody because she actually goes ahead, walks up to the door, walks inside, and she flickers the lights on. I don't know about you, but that's kind of my way of saying, like, I'm inside safely go ahead and leave. You know, the lights are on. All right. is well. It's the same as like flashing your car lights at someone. Like, I'm good to go. Exactly. And that's exactly what Randall does. He pulls out of the driveway and drives back to his parents' house where he was living at the time. What Randall didn't know was that this would be the last confirmed sighting of his sister, Melody Jones. The next day rolls around, and it's Thursday, May 5th, which means Melody is scheduled to work her shift at the Dairy Queen. Her shift started at 11 a.m., but Melody failed to show up. This was very unlike her. Okay, Annie, I have to interrupt you on this. I have listened to a lot of true crime podcasts. I have watched a lot of true crime content. And if I'm thinking at 19, and this, I'm outing myself here, they (laughs) always say, you know, she didn't show up. She She was never a minute late. I don't think people would say the same thing about me at 19. I think they would just be like, yeah, well, that's part of the course. <laughs> yeah. I know. And she was described as being responsible. She loved working at the Dairy Queen. And she also loved her employees. Like, I think her manager had a really good heart. And it kind of goes to show just the time, which we're in the 80s. Think about it. I mean, the fact the manager called her mom and was like, 
Melody didn't show up for work today. Maybe go check on her. It just shows kind of the innocence of this small Oklahoma town. Well, and you know what? It also shows the importance of showing up to work on time because so many cases start this way of the person who is always responsible, always calling if they're going to be a minute or two late is the one that everyone starts to panic Mm -hmm. and puts the word out when they don't show up. So this is your informal PSA to go to work on time. (laughs) (laughs) Because if something ever happens to you, God forbid, you don't want them sitting around going, well, this is par for the course. You want people springing into action. So don't be like me. Be like, what is your name? Melody. Melody. And go to work. Be punctual. Be on time. Absolutely agree. And so when Melody didn't show up, the DQ manager, like I said, called her mom and basically said, she's not here. Can you go check on her? Melody's mother, named Carol, drove out to her daughter's home. And when she arrived, she's a bit relieved because the couple's car is sitting in the driveway. She thinks, oh, maybe they just overslept. You know, they had a late night the night before. Randall dropped her off at 1030. I'll just go grab Melody and take her to work all as well. So from her car, Carol begins honking, trying to wake them up. We love a mother-in-law and a mom who just respects the privacy. She's like, I'm just going to sit here and honk. I'm not going to barge in. I was thinking the same thing because I was like, no, I would be up there like rat-tat-tatting on the bedroom windows. I wouldn't care. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly what she did because after a few honks and a few minutes, Carol gets worried. No one's answering. No one's coming out. So she walks up to the front door and notices something off. The front door is slightly open, but it doesn't appear to be broken or damaged. There's always that chance that kind of a gust of wind comes in, catches the door, but... And it's never a gust of wind. I know. It was odd enough to Carol that it did stand out. She pushes the door open, and that's when panic sets in. The house is trashed and in complete disarray. She notices her daughter's purse had been dumped out and the items were scattered everywhere, She looks across the room and she grows even more concerned because she sees Melody's glasses. Melody was legally blind, and so she needed her glasses to really do anything. They were the most important item in her life. Carol runs through the house in hopes of finding her daughter and Paul. She rushes into their bedroom, and that's when she sees Paul's body on the floor covered in blood. No. It was later determined he died from two stab wounds, one in the neck and the other in the chest. Oh, my gosh. Brutal. Brutal. On the bed next to him is an unloaded 12-gauge shotgun. It almost appeared like Paul grabbed the shotgun and he was attempting to load it to fight off the intruder when he was attacked. That makes a lot of sense. Oh, my goodness. After the frantic surge around the house, it's very clear that Melody is not in there. Carol's in total disbelief. This was not what she was expecting. She runs outside. She continues to yell for her daughter, hoping to find her alive. She circles the property multiple times. Remember, their house is back off the highway, kind of in a secluded area. And that's when she decides to call 911. The Potawatomi County Sheriff's Office and eventually the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation were called to assist with the search for Melody. Because of the landscape of the area, an extensive ground search was conducted and it covered a 12-mile radius around the home. Some law enforcement take to the rugged, lush terrain, while others are searching inside the house. While inside the house, investigators are stumped. Melody's mom does a search and lets investigators know that nothing seems to have been stolen. You know, there's no missing valuables. 
So they didn't walk in in the midst of a burglary and then crime of, oh, this person saw me. I have to take them out now. Exactly. Nothing was stolen, but Melody was missing, which was obviously a huge issue. Law enforcement also determined that there was no sign of forced entry. All of the windows were intact. But then Carol mentions how that door was kind of ajar that morning, and it puts a little fear into everyone's uh, everyone's heart. So are they now thinking that her husband, who didn't go with her to her brother's house, correct? Yeah, he was not on the fishing trip with the family. So are they thinking, like, this is someone that knows the family that he would have opened the door to, possibly? Right now, they have no idea what's going on. They did jump into action really quickly, but as of now, they're at the house, they're searching, they're kind of trying to piece things together, but no one has any idea what's going on. Melody's family was growing more and more worried. They knew that she would never leave the home without her glasses and her purse. She wouldn't be able to get anywhere. And after doing the ground search and speaking with her family, investigators come to the conclusion that this is a murder and an abduction situation. Oh my gosh. So wait, so that begs the question, and I'm sure you'll get to it, but I just have to throw out where my head goes Mm -hmm. immediately. Of course. That her husband might have already been dead when she walked in and that the person they saw could have been the perpetrator of all of this, the intruder? Could have been. I do get into some theories later, but that is one of the stronger theories. Wait a minute, Annie. Is this a cold case? Annie! Cricket, cricket, <laughs> cricket. cricket. <laughs> no! <laughs> you know I love a good cold case. Come on. I'm not laughing out of the funniness of it because nothing about this is funny. I just, I thought you were going to lead me to some resolution. All right. Mm-mm. I am resigned to my fate of not having the answers I so desperately want. Go ahead. (laughs) A few days after the murder, Paul's mother, Marge, drives over to the crime scene and police allow her to enter the home. She immediately feels like something is off. She has a statement that reads, there was no blood on the carpet. I pulled it up and there was no blood. There's no blood on the curtains, on the walls, or on the ceiling. Now, when you stab someone, there's going to be a lot of blood. He was a healthy boy. Once when he was a kid, his foot was sliced by an axe and blood spurted everywhere. Why wasn't there blood splatter? End quote. Because he was asleep. Well, she was convinced the murder didn't happen at the house. And at the time, it kind of seemed like Marge's findings were dismissed. I'm not sure why. Law enforcement agreed it was odd that there wasn't blood splatter, but they kind of left it at that. I think he could have been asleep. But remember, he's up trying to load that shotgun. Okay, so let me work, because there would be off spray. There would be, yeah, like you said, splatter at the very least on the walls or, I mean, not to be grotesque, but Mm -hmm. it's just the truth, especially if he was trying to fight. I would be interested to know if he had any defensive wounds whatsoever, because if I saw a knife coming to me, I understand he's trying to load a shotgun. But if I'm playing this out in my head, perhaps now we're going down a rabbit hole as we always do, but... Let's say he was asleep and he woke up and heard something, maybe thinking, oh, it could be my wife, but like, oh, this doesn't sound quite right. And he's he's awake and alert doing the shotgun and then, you know, sneak attack by this Mm -hmm. person. If he was awake enough to be loading a gun, he would be awake enough to try to be defending himself. Yeah. So I wonder if they had any defensive wounds on him. From what I found, it was just those two stab wounds. Yeah, that's really weird. It's super weird. And not a single piece of evidence was found during the ground search. So this is like like a masterful killer if he did it in the home. It's very odd. Marge was a mother on a mission. In the days after her son's murder, Marge and her daughter, who was Paul's sister, 
went full detective mode, and I applaud them for that. They wanted answers, but they were also mourning the loss of Paul, and they demanded justice. At first, Marge kind of pointed the finger at Melody. She began asking Paul and Melody's nearby-ish neighbors if they heard or saw anything on the night of May 4th. She told law enforcement the neighbors heard yelling and screaming. They heard door slamming and car door slamming and screeching to a halt. But unfortunately, the neighbors didn't want to get involved, and they claimed they were scared to talk to authorities. Okay, like we said last case, if you see it, if you hear it, tell someone. You can be anonymous. Tell someone. But I read that, and I kind of stepped backward because I had been under the impression that this house was in the middle of nowhere. So I did some digging, and I found a YouTube video from 2021 from an account called Etched in Stone. And this man goes around to cemeteries, finds tombstones of murdered victims, and tells their story. It's a really interesting account. And he actually pulls up Google Maps, and he shows where the Joneses' house was located in Earlsboro. And there is no one around them. I don't know where Marge got this story. I think she was desperate for answers. She's mourning her son. I do not fault her. but. She was quick to point to Melody. In today's age, we always point out to the husband. So it's fine. It's fair. I get it. Let's be honest. Statistics show that generally when crimes happen, it is someone in your very close circle, which is a very creepy thought. I'm going to go make sure Blake isn't out (laughs) to murder me or anything. But I mean, that is the statistic. So I could understand if you're even somewhat knowledgeable about that, you, you might go right to that thought. Agree. But if this story is the only one like it, like there's no history of abuse and things like that, then perhaps you're right that it's just a mom desperate for answers and wanting wanting those answers anywhere she can find it, even if she has to maybe stretch the truth a little bit to get investigators looking at all possible leads. Absolutely. And there's no history of abuse, but there is a history between Marge and Melody. They actually worked as housekeepers at a hotel before Melody started her job at Dairy Queen. According to Marge, Melody said some really odd things to her. Marge was quoted as saying the following, Melody was always watching soap operas and had to have them on in every room. She says to me, I could get away with murder. I told her, what? You're taking these shows way too serious. She told me she could get a new social security card and driver's license for $50 on the street, end quote. This is sounding very gone, girl. I agree, but... Melody was like 19 years old. She's watching her soap operas. You know, I mean, I make comments like that sometimes where I'm like, oh, if anyone didn't know me, they might take that a little too serious. Like kind of thing. She was just bantering. Absolutely. And I'll, I'll be the first to say it. I have no inclination to hurt anybody on this planet, emotionally, physically, or otherwise. But I have definitely, I will cop to the fact that while doing research sometimes, I have joked even with my roommate about Geez, after like looking into all these, I feel like I could get away with it if I wanted to. I do not want to. Let's oh, our, our search there. history is very terrifying. I think yeah. you're like, <laughs> hey, big brother, if you're listening to our podcast for some reason, or don't look at yeah, don't yeah, it's not us. <laughs> We're just Hands two girls up. of the podcast. Like, no worries. <laughs> We're just sitting in our living rooms. But uh, yeah, I have said that. But doesn't mean that I mean that I want to actually hurt someone. Exactly, and I think that's where. Once again, Marge is mourning. She wants answers. So she's going to think of anything that Melody ever said, and she's going to bring it to law enforcement. Sure. And grief is a wild thing. mm -hmm. Eventually, she stopped taking information to the police because of threatening phone calls. Apparently, 
she felt like she was asking too many questions. One call supposedly included a death threat. Marge never learned the identity of the caller, but she said it was a man's voice. There is no further context into these threats. And it was one of those things where I read in an article, I searched a lot for more context. There's none. Marge said it. I'm not sure how accurate her statements are overall. I get a little bit hesitant with the he said, she said type of statements, but they did grab my attention. Well, there's a reason they don't stand up in court. It's called hearsay. Yeah, exactly. Marge is obviously going through something no parent should ever have to go through, and she just wants some answers. With no leads in the case, investigators put up a $5,000 reward for each of the victims and began to re-examine the days leading up to the night of the murder and the disappearance diving deeper into any possible motive or people of interest. Ex-boyfriends. There's no, I, don't, I couldn't find a single ex-boyfriend. I did some Facebook talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so she's a little bit more pure than my background yes, of yes. questionable partners. <laughs> According to members of Melody's family, she was in really good spirits on the afternoon of May 4th when the family went fishing. Her brother Randall never indicated why Melody asked him to spend the night but like I said earlier, that wasn't odd. So that's kind of marked off as just nothing there. And the police are continuing their investigation when something arrives in the mail that stirs up a little bit of interest. On May 9th, 1983, a few days after the murder and abduction, a credit card statement arrived in the Joneses mailbox and it showed an overdrawn account balance as well as a prior cash advance of over $400. Just for context, that's around $1,189 today. As it turned out, Paul and Melody did have some financial problems, and this fact is based on that financial statement, but also on claims from both of the families. Police's first question and thought was, did Melody maybe use this cash advance to pack up and start a new life after murdering her husband? This is very, very gone, girl. I mean, in that, they've, you know, sorry, spoiler alert, but it's been a few years. Watch the show. But in that, you know, she fakes her own death. But in this, I'm just thinking this is a young couple. I don't, you know, nobody knows the ins and outs of a relationship except for the two people in it. But I'm sorry, $1,200 does not seem like enough to go start a whole new life. I could understand if he had, you know, some major life insurance policy, but I imagine him working at a golf course that he doesn't. Right. And after digging, Law enforcement weren't able to find any evidence that showed Melody was the one to even receive that cash. In fact, the documents provided by the bank showed that the cash advance was in Paul's name, not Melody's. So it does not prove that Paul received the money, but it did tell law enforcement that Melody wouldn't have had enough to start this whole new identity. I mean, when you think about what goes into creating a new identity, you need a license, a passport, a bank account. It just adds up and I personally think it completely disproves the theory that Melody was involved, specifically to start a new life. They add this finding to the case notes and continue on their investigation. Next, law enforcement wants to speak with Melody's co-workers at the Dairy Queen. Not one of them had noticed anything unusual during her shifts in the days before her disappearance, similarly to what her family said. Her co-workers told police that Melody had been happy and joking around as always, and nothing was out of the ordinary. Her coworkers also described the Joneses as happily married and said Melody was very much in love with Paul. She often opened up to her coworkers, and they never felt like there was any trouble in the marriage. Remember, they're very young. 
They had been married for two years. She was 19. He was 20. She was gabbing at work like, I love my man, you know. Well, and if you're saying that you couldn't find anything about ex-boyfriend or anything, this is might be like that first love. They are your entire world. I remember feeling very much that way. And she married him. Yep. So two years is not that long to get rid of those uh, honeymoon feelings when it's your first love. But there was something that I want to talk about. Her coworkers were growing really concerned over their own safety since Melody wasn't the only young woman that had recently disappeared from the area. The town was terrified that there was a killer on the loose and they were putting pressure on law enforcement to give them answers. One of Melody's coworkers was quoted as saying, some crazy person is going around doing it. This kind of thing just doesn't happen that much in Seminole, Oklahoma, especially that close together. This was a 24-year-old named Danica Reed who worked at the Dairy Queen with Melody. The same Dairy Queen? Yeah, she worked at the Dairy Queen with Melody, and she said that. Oh, I thought that this was another girl that went missing. I was like, okay, that's that well, is wild. Someone did go missing, and her name was Patricia. And I'm going to talk a little bit about her because she went missing only a month before Melanie was abducted and Paul was murdered. In April, an 18-year-old store clerk named Patricia, also known as Patty, vanished within close proximity to this Dairy Queen where Melody worked. On the morning of April 9th, Patty was working her graveyard shift at the U Totem store. Patty and her mother both worked night jobs and would routinely stay on the phone with each other just in case of trouble. The last contact known with Patty was around 4.30 a.m. when she told her mother she was going outside to sweep the parking lot. She put the phone down on the counter without hanging up. Her mother heard nothing troubling, and she hung up a few seconds later because she needed to make phone calls for the cab company that she worked for. At 5.30 a.m. that same morning, just an hour after Patty's phone call with her mom, a customer calls 911 and notifies dispatchers that the store was vacant with no attendant. Police arrived at the store and found that the cash register had printed a no-sale transaction, timestamped at 4.35 a.m., which was just five minutes after that phone call and after she said, I'm going to go sweep the parking lot. So five minutes later, a no-sale receipt's printed. And what's really sad is police still found that phone off the hook sitting on the counter. Oh, that's, that's haunting. Mm -hmm. There were also two cans of soda near the cash register. Though the sale of the soda wasn't found on the cash register tape, which is alarming. It almost seems like someone grabbed two cans of Coke, went up to the register, and then something really bad happened. Patty's car was still parked by the store. It was locked and her purse was found inside the vehicle. Her keys were located inside the store. And according to investigators, there were no signs of a struggle. The cash register was missing $114, but $100 remained in an unlocked floor safe. The store did have a robbery alarm system designed to alert police when the register was emptied, but this alarm system failed because of a faulty telephone line. Oh, good grief. But could they tell if she tried to trigger it at all? No, they couldn't tell anything. All they knew was the money was missing. There was a no cash receipt. There was two cans of Coke and Patty is nowhere in sight. In the months following the disappearance of both women, Residents in this small Oklahoma town feared that there was at least one person targeting young women in the area. When you think about the coincidences and the disappearances, it does make sense. Both women worked at businesses in the same town. The businesses were within a couple blocks of each other. 
Melody had lived two blocks from the U Totem store in 1982, a year before her and Paul moved to the house in the country. The women were both around the same age. Both had left behind their purses and personal items when they disappeared. Melody lived less than half a mile from Highway 9A at the time of her disappearance. And similarly, the U Totem store where Patty disappeared from was located off a connecting highway that was close to Highway 9A. So it's all happening in the same area. This is a lot of, yeah, coincidences. A lot of coincidences. I would think the same thing that these Dairy Queen employees do. Of One is suspicious. Two is a pattern, potentially. Mm-hmm. And imagine the small town fear. I mean, I bet rumors are flying like crazy. I wish the listeners, we got to start doing video because if people are watching me while you're telling this, I am like sitting here with like my fingers on my chin doing like thinking man pose because my head is going in a lot of different directions <laughs> trying to like detective doll bomb my way through this case. It is hilarious. But right now you're sitting in a completely dark room. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, this wouldn't be so great for video, but it adds to the ambiance. Here's a thought just from what you said and about like the two cans of Coke. If she's going out and picturing like she's walking out to sweep the parking lot mm-hmm. and the guy comes in, because remember at the other scene, nothing seems tampered with. Like maybe it's someone they know, maybe it's not, but it's weird that the door was ajar without it being broken into or the lock or whatever. What if someone comes in, just looks like a customer, and he's going to the vending machine, grabs two little things of Coke or off the shelf or whatever they have in this store and goes up. And he's like, oh, I don't have the right change or whatever. She pushes the no sale button, looks down, and bam. Could it be something like that? Or do they think that she was taken from the parking lot? No, I definitely think they believe she went back to the register. Because remember, there's that no cash receipt and $100 missing. So I think exactly what you think is that someone walked into that store. They wanted her to ring them up. And then something bad happened. Unlike Melody's case, we have a little bit of closure in Patty's case. In 1991, skeletal remains were found about 20 miles away from Seminole, and they were confirmed to be those of Patty Hamilton. The medical examiner did not disclose the exact location where the remains were found, but they did rule the cause of death as a homicide, and it's public knowledge that her body was found in a creek. The cause of death is unknown. With cases like this, until things get figured out, a lot of things are kept kind of close to the chest so that would make sense if they're still if the police are in agreement with these dairy queen workers that potentially can we call them dairy queen detectives that just sounds fun Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah that perhaps if they think that these could be connected it would make sense that they wouldn't want to put out too much information so they actually despite concerns from all these people in the town Police never believed that Melody and Patty's disappearances had anything significant in common. Isn't that odd? Is it because of the murder? I just think they were like, nope, there's no there's no connection. It could have been because Paul was murdered. But I I mean, I listed out those coincidences. And like that is I humbly disagree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A murder in the home, potentially, we don't even know or just. It sounds like it was in the home. The blood spatter thing. I get that. That's very bizarre. But why would the gun be next to Like, there's a lot of weird things for it to not have occurred in the house. Well, back to that, I just kind of thought of this. There was only two stab wounds. It wasn't like there was 15 where people are boom, boom. It's one in the neck, which probably like, you know, probably just kind of stunned him. And then one in the chest. So that kind of, the more I say that out loud, I'm kind of like, I don't know. But I also think it's because in this case, Patty's body was found 20 miles away. And in Melody's case, they looked everywhere in this town. There was no body. I think that might be what their 
hanging their coat on and saying, like, if these were connected, her body, Melody's body would have been found as well. I'm not quite sure. Right. But if you were a serial killer, normally there's a normal amount of escalation because, you know, what you do the first time. Very true. Satiates whatever's in your weird, dark, twisted fantasies that I'll never understand. And Mm -hmm. then when you try to replicate that in the same way, you're not going to get the same response. It's like a hit of drugs. Like your first time is not going to feel like the next time right? You always need a little more something to go off of, I assume, because I've watched Intervention. I don't do drugs. (laughs) (laughs) So it would kind of make sense though, if you're kind of educating yourself as you go, oh, they found her body. I don't know though, because he or she didn't take care of Paul. No. And they disappeared within a month of each other. And Patty's body was found in 1991, like years later. It was just a skeletal remain of her. I know what you mean. I mean, a very they very well could have been connected. I personally think so, which I, I'll get into the theories in a little bit. But I'm jumping the gun. I know. Pun it's in, okay. Pun intended. We always do this. Sadly, due to lack of evidence, Paul and Melanie's case goes cold. What's even sadder is that their house burned down after a brush fire. There was no talk of it being connected to this case. Like, no one maliciously set it on fire. It's just sad because even though no evidence was found back in 1983, We all know how far advancements come, especially with DNA testing. And I can't help but wonder if that house was still up and if it was re-looked at today, if they would have found something. The stuff they can get from a single hair now is wild. So yeah, that is incredibly unfortunate. In 2017, nearly 35 years later, new information comes forward. There were rumors about a ruby ring being found underneath a cedar tree at a house just four miles away from where the Joneses lived. In the case report filed in 1983, Melody was wearing a ring that had rubies in it the night that she disappeared. Remember, she was fishing with her family, and they were able to provide a very detailed description on their last day with Melody and what she was wearing. Investigators get a search warrant, and the search begins at 22383 Davis Drive, which is now completely abandoned and all overgrown. The search involved a heavily wooded area that was mostly covered in cedar trees. No one knows what tree this ruby ring was supposedly found under, and it's kind of a needle in a haystack type of search. Searchers are on their hands and knees digging into the bare earth. They're looking around the trunks of cedar trees, and they were even using rakes to move the cedar tree needles. They did find bones, but they were deemed to be non-human. And after two days, nothing. They brought in cadaver dogs to help. Nothing. Then backhoes to dig up the ground. Nothing. The house on the property was vacant and had many different owners over the course of the 34 years. So it wasn't really helpful to the investigation. From my research, it never came to light who lived at the house during the time of the crime. I'm not sure if they felt like it was relevant. I think they looked at the location of the house. They heard of this ruby ring supposedly being found, and that was kind of their first starting point. But then they found nothing else on the property, so another dead end. At the time of this search, a lot of people thought Melody could still be alive, but law enforcement was almost positive that she was dead. They made comments saying it'd be almost impossible for her to truly be alive after all of these years. One of her little sisters, who was 11 years old at the time of the disappearance, did speak to the Daily Oklahoma and said the family was ecstatic that law enforcement was taking a second look at the case and was hopeful that one day they'd find Melody's remains. 
So even her family thought she had been killed. You would have to think after 34 plus years that unless she at 19 and watching her soap operas have taught her to be a master criminal watching Days of Our Lives, I highly doubt that. Yeah. And she just loved her family so much. I mean, the one family member who just is totally haunted is her little brother, Randall. My heart hurts for him. It's very apparent that he carries so much guilt about that night. He made a statement to Oklahoma News and said, you get where you can live with it and then it comes up again. Melody's sister was quoted as saying, every day you always look in a crowd. You look at the people. Melody had really, really curly hair. So you look at people with curly hair. Oh, that could be her. And it's like the not knowing, like your sister, the not knowing of what happened to her. I never wish that on anyone. No, I don't wish that on anyone. I especially don't wish that on parents to have to go to sleep at night. I don't care if your child's an adult or not. They're still your child. And be wondering and playing through your head of all the possibilities that could be happening to them. That is like a punishment worse than death almost. I I think so too. I really do think so. It's terrible. I thought of something. Okay. We have another investigation by Elise. (laughs) (laughs) It's late at night and I'm putting my detective cap on. I'm just going to go out and say I'm totally poo-pooing the mother-in-law's idea that she planned this and ran away. Agreed. And here's why. Because of the brother. The fact that she invited him over and they're very close and by all accounts got along very well, that would mean that she would either have to have him in on it or planning to murder her brother as well. Yeah. I don't know many murderers that go fishing in the day, invite you over to have a little slumber party. Nope, that doesn't add up to Mm -mm. me. That's a really good point. Yeah, the brother was invited to stay and he said no. That theory, in my opinion, my very, very humble, humble and unknowledgeable opinion goes right out the window. Mm -hmm. Melody's family is still to this day devastated and they are fatigued from the heartbreak. They're ready for the mystery to end. What's interesting is after this dig at the house looking for the Ruby Ring connection, KOCO News 5 aired a segment on the Joneses case. This segment aired on November 3rd, 2017. The news station covered the case. They gave details about the mystery. They talked about the Ruby Ring, and they tried to shed some light on the case decades later. A week later, on November 9th, someone called into the hotline and they left a voicemail. The man said he had information on the case, but the tipster was only able to give three digits of his phone number before the voicemail was cut off, and he never called back. Isn't that weird? You talk about decades later, talk about a guilty conscience, someone seeing this air and going, I do remember that case, and I do know what happened, calling, and then I don't know if it was a malfunction or if he hung up the phone, it doesn't say, three digits of a phone number. Well, and I've left a rambling voicemail in my day, and it does cut you off even now. So I can imagine if he's like, hi, my name is so-and-so, and and he's kind of concerned about calling in, that it might take a while to sputter the words out. But to get cut off, why do all of your cases have something to do with a phone number? Have you realized this? Always. And now we have cell phones, so we don't really have that issue. But I also cover cases that are older. All this malfunction stuff was way more common than it is today. (laughs) I would like to say everything was worse back then, but I don't know if that's true. (laughs) But let's talk about some theories, because I know you have some of your own, and there's a few in this case that I want to talk about. The first is that a driver who frequently traveled the highways in this small Oklahoma town was targeting women. Truck driver off the highway. Mm, That's a strong one. 
Although Melody and Patty's cases were never linked, there were quite a few coincidences. And the 80s were actually a pretty dangerous decade, according to the U.S. Department of Justice. They issued a report that shows the homicide numbers from 1950 to 2010, and the 80s were at the very top for homicides. A disturbing stat that I found is that in 1987, so four years after this case happened, there were 198 separate serial killers active in the U.S., compared to only 43 in 2015 and two in 2019. This is according to a database run by the Radford University and the Florida Gulf Coast University. How crazy is that there was that many Wait, back in the 80s? I'm more hung up on the fact that they say there was only two in 2019. That seems crazy. Is it just because DNA testing and stuff, we just catch them before they can continue? I think so. I think that's, that's exactly what happens. Like someone commits a crime. I mean, you hear about all these serial killers. Like I always think of the 80s and right here about a serial killer because they could get away with so much. Remember, we did that DNA episode. DNA was not even used until like the mid to late 80s. So people were just running rampant. I mean, that's great. The two, I'm, I'm happy about it. I'm just surprised by that number. Mm-hmm. The theory of a serial killer on the loose isn't outlandish to think, especially when you hear numbers like that. Another theory, which I don't agree with at all, is that Melody was somehow involved in the murder of her husband, and she was not a victim, but rather a fugitive. One of the stronger statements behind this theory stems from our girl Marge, Paul's mother, who in 2015 told the Oklahoma magazine called Red Dirt Report that Paul had at least one life insurance policy, possibly two, and that this alleged policy went into effect on April 22nd, 1983, almost two weeks before Paul was murdered. Now, there's a lot of issues with this theory. The first is that Melody's name and signature never appeared on any of these documents, and there is very little evidence to prove that Melody would have had any financial benefit from Paul's death. If there was a life insurance policy, this could be summed up by just finding out if it was ever cashed out. And it wasn't. Oh, well then, right? what did she have to gain that, $1,200? Even if it was a murder for a higher crime situation, $1,200 is, is not usually enough to get that taken care of. No, and they were 19 and 20. I mean, they didn't come from rich families. They had some debt. They had some financial issues. Paul himself was not from a wealthy family. And because of those factors, I completely disagree with this theory. I know that you do too. I'm still hung up on the fact that she invited her brother to spend the night. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going to commit a crime, the less people around to witness it, the better. I don't think you invite your brother along to guest star in your homicide. Agree. So yeah, with the life insurance not being cashed in, with the brother being invited over. I'm going with no on that one. Yeah. But what these theories don't disprove is that Melody is alive. This is not to say that she committed the murder. I think the evidence is very clear that it's pretty unlikely. But with no body, it is a possibility that she was kidnapped and is still out there alive. Not by choice. She's not living this whole separate life by choice. But I think that's kind of my optimism speaking. Law enforcement was very clear. There's no way she's alive. Her family agrees that she was murdered. But the no body just gets me. Well, it, it stinks because you want the family to get closure for sure. And they desperately want that. And that maybe there's something in her remains that can get some vindication for this these deaths. But then there's part of you that thinks, well, we hear about people escaping after 11 years of being held captive by someone who has them in their backyard. Yeah. Or in their basement or in a spare bedroom. Like, it's crazy. 
A third theory that I personally agree with was that Paul died protecting Melody, who was then abducted. Some think that that shadowy male figure in the doorway was an intruder planning a robbery. When Melody suddenly appeared, that robber panicked. It's important to note that no material items were stolen, but of course, Melody was missing. I don't even know about that one. Doesn't make sense to me. Because it's like, why Melody and Paul? Like, they were 19 and 20. Their house was back off a highway. I just think the only logical thought is that something was happening and Melody startled that. Because whenever she pulled up, Randall said, yeah, there was a figure in the doorway. But you would expect to see, I know they said the house was pretty much like trash and ransacked. Mm -hmm. So that could be her running or fighting off or whatever the case is. But why abduct her? And why not just do what, you know, this person had done to Paul? What does he have to gain from taking? I don't know. It makes it almost more messy to have a person, to to take a person. Right. There's a lot more risk involved with that. So there's a lot of horrible people that would do a lot of horrible things, but that one just doesn't. I don't know. None of these theories are are anything I can settle on and go, yep, that, that seems like the most likely. It's bizarre. Melody's mother, Carol, died in 2014 without receiving any closure and knowing what happened to her daughter. Melody's brother, Randall, still lives in Oklahoma and regularly stays in touch with the Potawatomi County Sheriff's Office. He continues to seek justice for his sister and brother-in-law. Paul's parents actually moved back to England after their son's death, but in 2015, Marge made the voyage back to Oklahoma to be reassured that law enforcement hadn't forgotten about her son. Marge had made it her mission to find out who killed Paul and what happened to Melody. At this point in time, Marge had a terminal illness and wanted to make one last visit to speak with the fifth sheriff who had taken over this case. Yes, the fifth sheriff. The new sheriff on this case is named Under Sheriff Palmer, and he said the guilt of these crimes has got to take a toll on a person. He hopes that someone will come forward and come clean and give those involved the closure they deserve. He actually made a plea to the public and begged the person to come forward. He said, not for me, but for Paul Jones's mother before she dies, come give us that other piece of the puzzle. That is absolutely heartbreaking. She came back from England to like fight for her baby boy. It's, ugh. Well, and what it reminds me of is, you know, beginning of last week's case, we talked about that new change in policy. And so I'm going, okay, well, what about that? You know, her brother's still alive. But then I remember the house burned down. So there's not a whole lot of of evidence to go off besides crime scene photos. and, And, oh, that's... That's just so sad. But they're not giving up. Law enforcement isn't. So over the years, there's been a few updates in the case. There were two different bodies found around the area of Earlsboro, but both of those were determined to not be Melody. In 2018, an article was posted in the Oklahoma 6 saying that the sheriff's office wanted to speak to all employees who worked at the DQ back in 1983 or 1984. That kind of fizzled out. Nothing, Nothing came of that request. And then in 2019, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation released its second deck of cold case cards for Oklahoma prisons. Each of these cards feature a photograph and factual information about an unsolved homicide or missing persons case. The goal of distributing these cards throughout the prison is that inmates will report any information to help investigators. One of the investigators said, inmates talk, and I'm hoping one of those inmates has got a conscience. We need to bring Melody home so her family can get her buried. This is what the undersheriff said. So far, nothing has come of these playing cards, but it's still pretty recent. 2019, they've been circling for a few years. You 
still hold out hope that someone's going to talk. At the time of her disappearance, Melody was only 19 years old, and today she would be only 59 years old. This case intrigues me because we have this super young couple with no real issues, minus a couple, little bit of financial issues. But Yeah, and who doesn't at 19? They had just bought a house. They were trying to be independent from their family. Like, I don't think that $400 cash advance was anything to even bat an eye at. According to friends and family, they were happy. They were in love. It's bizarre. I don't know what to think about it. But I actually was sent this case by one of our listeners and one of my friends. Um, she was like, look at this Reddit post. And I got into it. And I, was, I had never heard of this case, which I prefer to not hear of cases because I feel like I'm always biased going into them. But talk about a wild case with no closure, no people of interest, and no real lead. Like she just disappeared off the face of the earth. And poor Paul no justice for his murder either. No, this is definitely a wild one. I, I know I was kind of spitting out theories the whole way through, but your mind was going. I loved it. I could just yeah. see you sitting there. Your <laughs> eyes are kind of crossed. You're like kind of hunched over and you sit up really quickly and then you like point your finger up. <laughs> like she has a theory, ladies and gentlemen. Well, on to I your know. seats. <laughs> Every time I get like an idea about a case, for some reason, I turn into like a 1920s TV detective Truly. and like point my finger into the air and I'm like, aha! I solved it. <laughs> oh, I have solved this. It's you with the <laughs> hammer and the, you know, it's like I'm playing a game of Clue. So after hearing the whole case, what do you think happened? I think Paul was already dead when she got home. Okay. I don't know why, mm -hmm. but... The lack of if Marge's statement is true, that there wasn't a lot of blood spatter. Granted, where he was injured were obviously very vital organs and vital areas of the body where you could bleed out very quickly. So either he woke up. I, would, I still want to know if there's defensive wounds on him. That would be interesting to me because the gun could have also been placed there. I never know. But it would make more sense if there wasn't blood spatter if he was asleep. Yeah. And she came home at like 1030 at night, right? So it would be reasonable to think that he was Absolutely. Asleep. So what do you think happened to Melody? That's the part that makes no sense to me. I right? certainly don't think she's a, a criminal mastermind, mm -mm. but I just don't know what – it's weird that her blood, even just as like a defense wound, you come into your house and you're fighting someone off because if she did that flickering light thing to her brother on purpose and it wasn't like she turned the lights on and then this intruder turned them off, which I guess is a possibility – but if she flicked them on and off multiple times, thought she was good, everything's all right, you would expect that she would be startled by this intruder and immediately go into like fight or flight, right? Yeah. To some degree. So yes, the house was trash, but you would expect there to be some blood or hair or something that's going to come out in a struggle like that. And they didn't see anything of that belonging to her. So it just, I have no idea. I keep going back to the fact that her glasses were there. I almost wonder if it was more than one person, but why? Why this house? Why Paul? Why Melody? Like, that's where I always get hung up on. I know there's always those people who just like barge into random houses and commit these crimes, but. Well, and it could be the opportunity, the fact that they live off the beaten path a little bit. I think one person was like on lookout. Maybe she was the guy in the door. Paul getting sadly murdered melody walks in drops her purse her glasses fly off i mean her purse and the items were scattered on the floor i don't know if it was right in front of the doorway or whatever but i i since i started researching this case a few weeks ago i have not stopped thinking about her like every single day i, I dive i've read probably 50 articles on this like google history is everything is purple because i've already clicked on it and i'm like there got there's got to be something out there that i that i've missed but yeah this one is completely stumping me mm -hmm. because you would expect to see 
certain things in that house that would indicate one way or the other, but it doesn't sound like any of that was present. So I, I don't know. Well, we're going to turn this over to the scary squad. You guys let us know what you yeah, think. Let's do a poll. Because I, I truly am stumped by this. Of course, I know Annie will list all of her references. Mm-hmm. And if there's any pages where if for by some chance you know something about this case, you can call it in. But I want to know what your theories are because this one truly stumps me. I don't know what I think. I don't know if I think they're connected. I don't know what the purpose is, if they're not getting any money. The only thing that still makes me think they could be connected is just because clearly this is an escalation Mm -hmm. from the first one. But who knows? So tell us what you think. As always, we will be back next Sunday. I will be taking over the mic to bring you a new case. And like I told you before, it's going to be a historical one. So it's not, um, how do I say this? It's not going to be a dark case. This isn't an actual murder case that I'm getting into. There is a dead body involved and there's some really terrible people called the Nazis involved. So tune in next Sunday, but as always, until then. <laughs>